All right. So the name of the podcast is Application to Admission. I want it to be HBC versus PWIs, but you know, you think that's a little bit too too aggressive. And I, you know, I don't want to be aggressive. I want to make sure that I I treat your your your, your brother, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. right. You know, I don't come off too too militant. Even though Martin was a real militant man, he has some he has some really positive stances on a lot of things that people you know, have diluted his message through this holiday and all that, but that's a whole nother uh, episode. Welcome. Um, again, my name is Shereem Herndon Brown. I'm the associate, no, I'm not. I'm the <laughs> chief education officer at Strategic Admissions Advice, and I'm here with my co-author, Timothy L. Fields. Uh, we're really, really happy that you're here, primarily because we spent the past seven days really grinding uh, nine days on the Black Families Guide to College Admission. So if you're here to learn more about Black families, college admission, and money, uh, that's what we're here to talk about. So we're really, really excited that you're here. This is our book. It was released September 6th. But we're going to go through some of the elements of the book, some of the things that we think are really important, introduce ourselves more formally, so that you have an understanding of why we believe this book is so important and why we wrote it. So again, thank you so much for coming at 501, which it is right now. We are beginning to go. Tim, you're on. Uh, good afternoon, good evening, depending upon what time zone you are here in. Uh, we are so happy you are here. Um, and as Shereem said, uh, we are very excited about the book, but we're more excited to just share information about the college admission process with families. And uh, one of the guiding reasons uh, that we put this book together is because we're parents and we are living uh, this. Um, I have uh, twins that are nine years old. Shereem has twins that are 10 years old. He has a son that has just gone through this process and is at the University of Memphis, an older daughter who graduated from Xavier. Uh, so, you know, we, um, you know, have been through this process on top of, you know, kind of being in the field for a numerous amount of years. Uh, so we have uh, collectively over 50 years combined experience between the two of us. Uh, so we wanted to share this information as it especially rates, relates to to black families in this process, but we also want to support educators. We want to, you know, support allies and those who want to, you know, see black families and students be successful in this process. So again, just a little bit more about who we are. Tim uh, is a proud graduate of Morehouse College, but also the senior associate dean at Emory University. I'm a proud graduate of Wesleyan University and the uh, founder and chief education officer, strategic missions advice, which is an education consulting company. Those differences between us is what really made this book great. As you'll learn more throughout this presentation, we want to show the application side of the college admissions process, which is really my specialty, and the college admission side, which is Tim's specialty. So again, over 50 years of combined experience, but our unique, I guess, professional pedigrees is what we really believe to make this book special. Again, who we are, we're parents, as Tim said. Um, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Tim's from, from Texas. Uh, he went to Morehouse, I went to Wesleyan, to PWI. He's a fourth generation college student. I'm a first generation college student. What's not listed here is that he uses a PC and I use a Mac. We are very, very different people, but our love of, of children, of black people, of education really made this book great. Tim chooses to uh, educate his children in public schools. I choose to educate my children in private schools where I also went. I went to private schools throughout my life. I went to boarding school. Tim is a lifelong public school student. So again, our admission experience is very, very similar, or our trajectory within the profession has been on kind of aligned, but we have different life experiences. So before all, everything, we're people, we're parents, we're husbands, and we wanted to make sure that we showed that side of who we are to make sure you understand that we understand where you're coming from. And, and those were some of the reasons that we think uh, made, made the book great. Uh, and we hopefully, if you don't already have it, that you will uh, pick it up because one of the things that we want to make sure uh, to, you know, to articulate is Blacks aren't a monolith, that we have different lived experiences that we all have, and that as we have children, as we support, edu uh, you, know, you know, educators in this process, we want to make sure there's no one way to go about this, but we want to pull from our vast experiences. And so some of the things that really kind of guided uh, the book was, one, that to date, uh, there was not any well-marketed uh, book in admission in the mainstream uh, written by uh, Black people for Black people. So first and foremost, we wanted to speak directly to you and your experiences as it relates to the college admission process. 
but also uh, there's a lot of research out there that speaks to the you know information gap that is between black students and families and other races and ethnicities and so you know about a third of black students are getting their college information from a family member versus two-thirds of other races uh, that may be getting it from a family member or somebody uh, that is not in the college or elsewhere and so we wanted to say you know one put that information out there into the black community and then, uh, you know, obviously in 2020, there was a racial uh, reckoning going on with George Floyd and a lot of other instances. But one of the major things was uh, there was a Black and IG movement, uh, which is Black students who primarily went to independent schools, really started to assert their voices online through Instagram and other social media platforms, thinking, talking about their microaggressions, macroaggressions, and some blatant racism that happened at their schools. And, uh, you know, these are some of the things that really led us to say, you know, we need to really speak to uh, Black families about their experiences and then, you know, touch upon college counseling and, you know, how that relationship can be better between parents and counselors. And that's something that we'll talk a, lot, a little bit about. And, you know, we'll touch upon undermatching, which is an idea that in many instances, Black students are told to go to schools lesser than they potentially can get into. Um, and, you know, that has happened, you know, uh, you know, vice, excuse me, former First Lady Michelle Obama talks about it in her book, Becoming, uh, Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson has talked about it, how their college counselor said, you're not Ivy League material, you should probably go to a lesser school. And unfortunately, uh, that happens more than we would like to say. And then, you know, just the overlooking of HBCUs in general. Right now, uh, the HBCUs are, you know, having a renaissance. And we are excited about that. Uh, but we also have found that in many instances, <clears throat> you know, HBCUs are overlooked or that only three or four HBCUs are looked at. Howard, Morehouse, Spelman, maybe throw in North Carolina A&T, FAMU, Hampton. But there are over 100 HBCUs. So we wanted to kind of highlight those as options. Uh, we want to be very clear. In this book, we have no preference. PWIs, predominantly white institutions, HBCUs, what we want to do is you to think about what is best for your students, res the resources you have as your family, and what is going to put them in the best trajectory to be successful. So now that you know a little bit, you know, about who we are and, you know, why we did this and when we did this, the, the, it, it's important that we reiterate that we wanted to make sure that there was a book that spoke to you specifically, and we wanted to examine the who, the when, the where, and the why. Where, who are we speaking to? When should you be looking at the college counseling process? Where are you living? Where the information are you getting it from and from where? And then why are you doing this? So we really tried to touch on um, all these different elements because we felt it was critical that black families have something specific for them. And to be quite honest with you, we've been very well received by many of our white educators and white allies who believe that they need this information too, to better support Black students and Black families. So again, while we are Black parents and Black educators and Black people, we want us, we want to use this book as a reference guide to help the training of, of college counselors, of educators, anyone who cares about Black people. Forgive me. And so, you know, here is the outline of the book, the chapters, and we were, were very excited about it. And you can look and see there are different chapters that cover different topics. And we really wanted to divide it up into three distinguished parts. First is the context to, you know, really talk about the Black family, the options they have. You know, how early should you begin to, you know, make choices about where you're going to school your children? You know, talk about HBCUs. Is, is that an option, you know, for you? And then as you're thinking about schools, uh, liberal arts, uh, you know, Shireen uh, wrote a, you know, very interesting chapter that talks about, you know, what is liberal arts? Is it worth it? And just like kind of thinking about as we are thinking about where we're putting our students, what are they studying and what trajectory does that put them on as far as having jobs after um, graduation, but also, you know, continuing to build wealth and how can we, you know, kind of narrow this wealth gap that exists and is just going to college and studying liberal arts the best way. You know, it's, it's, it's controversial. You know, obviously we acknowledge that, you know, liberal arts is, uh, is has a high value in higher education, but it's something that we just wanted people to think about. And in the title, we're very intentional, a conversation about education, parenting, and race. We want people to be very, you know, thoughtful. We want to have conversations and we want to get different perspectives. And so in the context was the first part to just kind of set the tone. 
then we, you know, kind of looked at X factors. And that's where I really kind of leaned into my experience, uh, you know, working at a selected schools. And what are some of the things that happen at these selected schools, you know, behind the doors of college admissions? You know, it's a very mysterious process, but we wanted to do things, what we wanted to do was bring some things to light. And so what questions should your family be asking early on in the process, asking of admission counselors, asking of college counselors, asking as far as high level questions, is college the best thing for your student? So we wanted to, you know, kind of really address some of those things. Talk about gender wars, you know, gender is a big thing um, in the college admission process, especially as it relates to black students. Obviously there's black girl magic that we highlight, but also, you know, I make the argument that the black males are the most valuable, you know, asset to higher education. When you think about the billions of dollars that is accumulated between, you know, sports, basketball, and football that is rest, really rests on the, the backs of Black males, and then you think about their value at many of these selected schools, you know, where would higher education be without Black males? So we touch upon that. And obviously, there are different paths. There may be some of you whose students are going to be athletes, artists, have other special talents. You know, what, are the, what is the path for that? And that's something that we want to touch upon and then obviously there was show me the money. Uh, we'll have our guest, uh, Jason Hamilton, who will go in depth about that. But money is a big factor in this and he'll expand upon that. And then the final section is where Shereen shined. Uh, you know, his business, uh, Strategic Admission Advice, works on the application process, helping families and students. And that's where he really kind of, you know, showed his, you know, expertise. Okay. So yes, and we did not do this in a bubble. So we did a lot of roundtables with parent groups. We did interviews with black parents, interviews with college counselors, and we wanted to make sure that we shared what we knew, but also gleaned what was on people's minds. So you know, we talked about the different questions: what are the hopes and expectations of college experience, a college admissions process you have for your child, what college experience do you want for your people, for your children? Um, do you think they could have the same or better experience at a PWI versus HBCU? You know, what are the out concerns of the racial climate in America and child's education? So we by taking the pulse of Black parents, we felt that we brought all that together in our book to really discuss the college admissions process. But and we, we also, you know, you know, tapped in to the experiences that counselors have had. As Shereem said, we did not do this in a vacuum. We did not, you know, say we're just going to expound our ideas and our experiences. Uh, we wanted to make this to be a very thorough book. And so we talked to counselors about their experience working with Black families, about, you know, do they suggest HBCUs and what are those conversations like? And then, you know, which HBCUs are they most familiar with? And we had a lot of enlightening conversations as we were putting the book together. Also, as we have been traveling this week, we have talked to a lot of counselors, you know, in, you know, LA, Chicago, um, in Washington, DC, and getting a good perspective on what their experiences are and what Black families should be thinking about. So it was something that was very, very important to us. So as we were putting this book together to be very thoughtful about the multiple voices that are involved in this process. You know, one of the exercise that we did that's going to make many of you roll your eyes, but it's real talk, is that we went, we've been traveling again since April, talking about the book, getting people excited about it. And at several of our conferences that we went to with educators who are predominantly white, independent uh, education counselors, our ACAC, which is Association for College Admissions Counseling, we've done presentations about the book. And we did an exercise in which we say, hey, can you tell us who are the, you know, five most famous Black college graduates you know, that, that you're kind of leaning into to share with your Black families that your kid, if you do this well, you can go to this school. People said, counselors said primarily, Barack Obama, Columbia, wasn't always right, because uh, he went to Occidental first, Michelle uh, Obama, uh, Kamala Harris, Oprah Winfrey, Tennessee State, Kamala Harris, Howard University, and too often people said Michael Jordan at the University of North Carolina. That really bothered us but it also confirmed for us that there are people who are doing college counseling who don't know what's best for black kids, who aren't familiar with enough um, famous black college graduates to get kids really excited about it. So one of the great things that we have in our book is that we have a list of what, 80 to 100 um, famous black college graduates. Celebrity is our royalty in America, as we know. So we put in people who, who have uh, incredible attention on them and where they went to college. You know, and, and we thought we did a good job of that because we wanted to show that there's no one way to be successful. Tim has been adamant 
thankfully so, that we have to redefine success. Going to a PWI, Harvard, Princeton, Yale doesn't equal success. Going to an HBCU, FAMU, Prairie View, Grambling doesn't equal success. We want to make sure that students and educators and parents are aware of all the different non-monolith, we're not a monolith, where we were all going to college, how we were all becoming successful in our own lanes, and we so we listed that out. And I thought that was a very, uh, uh, it's an easy part of the book to read, but again, it was very, very eye-opening that as we were presenting this, how many college counselors in particular were not familiar with famous Black people in their college, uh, how they, where they graduated from school, but also with HBCUs. As you see, that here are the people that they mentioned. Again, I love Michael Jordan. I love basketball, and I love Robert Smith and what he did, what he's doing for the Morehouse graduates uh, of 2018. But we we really need to make sure that the, that the conversation is about more uh, college black college graduates. And and so the process starts earlier than you expect. And so uh, you know we're not going to go down the timeline in very specifics, but you know we want people to you know really think about when you should be thinking about doing things. We're not trying to hit a panic button. We're not to say trying to say that you're late, depending upon where you're at, at in the process. But for those who are thinking about it, we want you to be have a sense of what should be going on. And so, so, so in middle school, I, obviously we want to you know kind of you know establish the, a college-going you know culture. You know, think about you know curriculums, what courses are going to be taking. You know, establishing good study habits and emphasizing the importance. Of, of grades. And, you know, I think one of the things, especially in middle school, is beginning to think about what is the student trajectory as far as what schools you would like for them to go into. So if you, you know, aren't, you know, Ivy bound and you're okay with them, you know, going to, you know, very open to what college or universities are going to go to, then yeah, you know, there's going to be a different process you're going to go to. But if you have aspirations for your child to go to, you know, Princeton, Yale, Stanford, you know, though places like that, then the foundation that they have in middle school is going to be very important as they prepare for high school. And again, that's similar to what we say. So while that's the foundation can happen in middle school, if your child is in high school now, no, it's not too late, but we want to understand that there's certain things that need to be happening. And on our website, understanding the choices, we're going to leave you with that as a reference at the end. We want to make sure that you understand what you should be doing and when. So we have a timeline of success, we call it, for ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and 12th grade. And we want families to understand that we want students to be taking appropriately challenging courses. We're not asking every kid to take honors and AP courses just because that's what everybody else is doing. They need to be appropriate. And as Tim said, if you or your child has aspirations of going to a certain kind of school, then they need to be aware that these are the courses a certain kind of school is going to be, uh, be uh, expecting. They need to participate in activities. Um, Tim has been very, very clear that when he has students applying to Emory who get good grades but don't get involved with their schools, they're not contributing to their community, that is a negative. You want to make sure that your child is doing things outside the classroom to make them a well-rounded uh, well or just a good human being, but more importantly because they're making contributions to their school in a variety of capacities. It could be whether uh, via athletics, via the arts, via service. There are a multitude of things that people can do outside the classroom to enrich their lives. I'm a big proponent of, um, of, of taking personality uh, tests. There are assessments that are like Myers-Briggs. Many of us have taken those as professionals, but what kind of our personality can dictate what kind of careers are best for us. So there's several tools out there that you can check out. Youth Science is a very popular one, uh, Major Match. I use something within my own practice called Do What You Are. We use these in order to help kids to build their college list. So they're very targeted about what their strengths are to hopefully cater to, excuse me, complement their interests so that they're looking at the right schools for the right reasons. Um, test preparation, Tim, I really want you to harp in on this because it's something I know is very near and dear to your heart. Yeah, obviously we're in a tested optional environment and uh, there are several college universities that are test optional, test blind, and you know have different terms that they utilize as far as how they review testing. And you know we want students to have that option. Uh, but, you know, one thing that I will say in working uh, at a selected schools is that, you know, testing is still part of the process. And so we, we would advise families is that, you know, you take the test SAT, ACT, uh, whichever one you think is best for you. You have that information. And if you feel you did well and you want to submit it, at least you had that available. Uh, what we don't want to do, uh, given this test environmental world, is to have people think that you don't need to test 
at all. Obviously, you know what's best for your family, for your child, and you will make those determinations. But there are schools that require testing for scholarships. There are schools that have never stopped requiring testing uh, throughout the pandemic. Uh, there are, you know, obviously the California system has gotten rid of it. Um, but then you know, there are other states that never, it never left. And so, you know, testing is still part of the fabric of higher education, and that's going to continue as, as we continue to move forward. So we want people to understand what are their options. If you didn't do well on a test, you can go to a test optional school and you don't have to submit it, but potentially you could uh, do well. And the final thing I'll say is that, you know, uh, I want you know people to put testing in context. Uh, that, you know, the average uh, SAT for a Black student in the country is for SAT both sections about 950. Um, and so, you know, when you see these high scores at, you know, an Emory, a Wash U, a Johns Hopkins or a place like that, it's like in the 14s, obviously that's the middle 50 percent percentile for their entire applicant pool. But I would say for any black student who scored over 600 per section, submit those scores that, you know, you're in the top test takers amongst black students and college admissions officers know that. If you scored above a 27 on the ACT, you are in the top test takers among black students. So, you know, obviously there's that information that is being put forth for their entire applicant pool, but also know there are high test takers who are taking that, that are driving that up. But the most important part of the application process is the grades. What courses did you take? Um, and so testing isn't going to move the meter, make or break you, uh, but it could add to your application uh, depending upon how it works out. So we just want to have, you know, options available to you as you go through this process. And testing can also be oftentimes a component of receiving scholarships. We're going to have uh, Jason Hamilton, come on a little bit, talk more about the money elements of, of college admission, but we want to be sure that you know that test optional for certain people doesn't mean test optional for everyone. And we really, as Black people, want to make sure that you understand that um, certain rules are applicable in certain, certain situations. Very, very clearly, uh, junior and senior year, and I'll talk more about this at the end, um, we want you students to be making a college list, taking the SAT, writing great essays. I, I have a master's in English. Um, and I love the essay component of the, of, the, uh, of the college application process. We have too often found that some students aren't well guided in the, in the essay process, and they need to be writing on things that are well distinguished them, to tell their stories, differentiate them from everyone else. So that is a component of this process that you should not neglect. It's not something that you should, you or your child should take for granted. You wanna make sure that kids are approaching this with a certain uh, uh, sense of urgency, that, that will help them to shine in the process. They're also gonna to need to identify two teachers for letters of recommendation. And I want them, like I said earlier, to continue to be involved outside the classroom because it shows a commitment to them being uh, making contributions to their school community. And so, you know, we'll continue to talk about this, but you know, how do we find this ideal fit? Uh, obviously we're gonna talk about cost, uh, which is a big part of it, but you know, Location, you know, with the, you know, introduction of the common application, coalition application, other, you know, application platforms, people are applying more places further out, but most students are going to really end up in college within three three hours of where they live. Uh, but, you know, what's the proximity to, you know, where you live, how far do you want to be away, how far do you still want to go away, something you should think about. The major, what major options? A lot of times students have focus, I want to major in X, and I'm going to make it based upon that. And then what finds out is they change their major, they find out something different. And so we want to make sure that, you know, the school has at least three different majors that that student may be interested in, in the case that they may change their mind. And then what are the career options that are available for them? You know, are there internships? You know, you know, is there a career center? What resources available to help them think about what they're going to do? And then I often say there's often an X factor. Does somebody want to be at Big D1 Sports? You know, does somebody want to be at a place that's a, you know, an art conservatory that has some support for the arts? Are there maybe other factors? I mean, I've met students who food is what drove, drove them to apply where they went. So, you know, there's going to be a wild card but primarily as you think determining fit, uh, these are going to be some of the things that are going to drive that discussion. We want to give you some real tangible advice as you know, we're, we're back to school now. It's, it's you know, uh, an important time of the year for families to understand how this process works. So here are some of the key things that we want to make sure you're aware of. Meeting the deadlines, huge. You know, October 15th, there's some schools that are rolling applications. 
There's meaning the earlier you apply, earlier you hear back. Certain schools have October 15th early action to deadlines, which means that they need to have your application complete by 10-15. Uh, November 1 is a big early decision deadline, as well as uh, November 15th. Early decision means that if you apply to a school and they admit you, that means you are bound to go there. Very, very high level, but I want to make sure that you understand that these are things you need to be pay attention to. And then the largest deadline for applications is January 1st of 2023. So you need to just be aware as you're thinking about schools for your kids when those deadlines are. We encourage families to apply for scholarships. Jason's going to give us some resources on which you can find those scholarships. But again, even if you feel like, well, we're not going to qualify for aid, you may qualify for scholarships given their requirements. Uh, again, going back to my English teacher background and having a master's in English, I'm a big believer in proofreading essays. Grammarly.com is an amazing tool. You should be reading your essays. Grammarly should be reading your essays. It's a free uh, service because you want to make sure that your kid isn't missing words, um, doesn't have awkward phrases, doesn't have any misspellings. There's nothing that turns an admissions officer off more than a student that didn't take the time to proofread their essay. So if there's a way for you to help your kid in the application process, it's how proofread their essay. Don't let your kid say, I'm not letting you read my essay. It's mine, not yours. No, it is your check going to that school eventually. It is your credit card that is going to be uh, paying for that application fee. So I hope that they will engage you as a partner in this process. We're not asking you to do it for your child. We're asking you as a parent to partner with your child for this college admissions process. Um, they need to follow up with their recommenders, of course, and then they all need to submit their applications prior to the deadlines. And, and so ultimately, uh, what are the key takeaways from the book? Uh, we wanted to, you know, gain an understanding of HBCs, PWIs, um, you know, how that plays out into this process. What are the differences? We want to continue to underline, we don't have a preference. Uh, we want you to think about those factors, cost, location, major, career, you know, the X factors, you know, as you think about this, what's best for your family? Um, you know, understanding diversity. Uh, diversity is a big term, um, but, you know, when asking, you know, questions to college admissions officers, college counselors, ask specifically about the Black college experience, and that is what you are definitely interested in, because if you just say diversity, there's socioeconomic diversity, there's geographic diversity, in any number of other ways that, you know, that conversation can go. But if you want to specifically, we want you to understand what that conversation looks like. Obviously, it begins early. Uh, we want people to begin this process early for it to be preferred, you know, to be, you know, uh, you know, something that they are very thoughtful about throughout. And obviously, uh, you know, Shereem said it, redefine success. You know, we want people to know that, you know, it is not just the top 20 schools that, you know, are, you know, putting people in great jobs, uh, that there are people, there are 4,000 colleges and universities, there are big, small HBCUs, you know, li liberal arts, uh, there are two-year colleges, you know, there's, you know, you know, other minority-serving institutions beyond HBCUs, and that might be what's best for, for students, and we want you to be very, very personal, very thoughtful in this process, and what are the needs um, to find out what's best uh, for you and your family. So now we have the pleasure of welcoming Jason Hamilton, um, who's going to give us some overview about financial aid and some information scholarships. Uh, Tim and I are going to, to mute ourselves and give Jason the floor. Again, Jason, we appreciate you. I'll let you introduce yourself and your background, and you can give the people what they came here for. Yeah, Oops, I, first and foremost, first and foremost, I appreciate the invitation and being here today, uh, being included with two very successful individuals, both within their career, but also as entrepreneurs. Uh, and I encourage everyone, if you haven't already, please order, download their book. It's even on Audible. So where there's a will, there's a way you can get it. Uh, my name is Jason Hamilton, and I am here as the founder and president of the FinAid app. And so like my colleagues here, probably if you were to add my 20 plus years of of higher ed experience uh, collectively between the three of us, you have over 70 years of admissions, recruitment, and advising backgrounds. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I wanted to give a little blurb about myself. I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm, uh, I grew up in the public school system. Um, on my father's side, I was second generation college bound, and on my mother, I was uh, more multiple. Um, oddly enough, my mother never finished college. Uh, so that's an interesting little tidbit, just kind of in my background and, and what I've seen and learned over the years, the importance of education. 
Uh, you see part of my background uh, where I did my undergrad. I went to a predominantly white institution in Tennessee, a uh, proud member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Uh, I'd still give shouts to my colleague, Shereen, even though he is of a different fraternity, we are all brothers. Uh, but I've also spent a number of years, as you can see, uh, both on the college access side, working with African-American high school kids in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, that then went father of four. Um, so the next slide um, is, is going to show you, again, kind of the, the sense of fit. And I've always said, you know, fit is a, is a small three-letter word, but it has significant implications. And I, I copied this slide because uh, you see that cost is the largest bubble. Now, that's not always how families approach things. They usually look at it from the major, or I went, my parents went to a certain school, or my friend did, or, you know, different things. It was the first school that ever communicated to me, so I'm always going to fall in love with them, and I'm going to go there no matter what. Um, but I think cost is something that we usually think about later on. After you apply, after you've been admitted, now it's like, okay, how am I going to make this work? Uh, but it's something as well, like was mentioned before, you need to start thinking about this early. Um, so moving to the, to the next slide, and I know I'll, I'll move through these kind of quickly, just because we also want to make sure we have time for any questions and things. But from a financial aid overview perspective, you have to understand the process. And that last word says deadlines. And I used to tell students all the time, still do, the main word in that is dead. When a deadline hits, it's not coming back. It's not gonna be, uh, we're here on Sunday for a soulful Sunday. It's not like Lazarus coming back from the dead. When a deadline passes for aid and scholarships, institutions can't make exceptions. If they made exceptions for you, they're gonna have to make an exception for everybody and it opens Pandora's box. So you have to be very, very mindful and adhere to all deadlines, not just applications, but scholarships as well as financial aid. Um, but I always encourage people, you have to be informed. You have to make smart choices. Um, at the, the next line I think is always interesting too. It's not just during your four years of, or six, however long it takes you while you're in school. This lives with you. And it's a 40 plus year decision. So it, it's, it's how you hear about people coming away from undergrad with a, a $100,000 in, in student debt. Um, it's very shocking, but it's very real. And usually it's because people have made decisions that probably weren't the best financial choice for them, but they also may not have understood all the choices that were being made and the, the consequences of those choices. So within this, my advice to you is going to be a few things. It's going to be be aware and mindful and utilize net price calculators. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'll cover some basics about the FAFSA, the free application for federal student aid. So as my colleague mentioned before, even if you think you may not qualify for any type of, of aid or uh, federal grants or loans or any, not loans, but federal grants, need-based aid, apply. It's not going to hurt you. You would rather apply and be told, no, we, you just don't qualify as to sitting back and looking at a bill that you're having to pay and wonder, how am I going to make this work? Man, I really wish I should have applied for aid. We'll also talk about CSS profile, and then also at the very end, being able to compare your financial aid award letters. Uh, the next couple of slides I, I, I pulled, because this is a recent article, uh, you see us here just from about, uh, what, not even a week, week and a half ago. And, and I encourage you to, go, to Google this, go back and find it. It's an interesting story about an African-American lady, a black girl named Sarah Rector, who lived in Oklahoma, and her family was given what, people thought was useless land. Well, back then, and especially in 1913, they discovered oil on that land. And so at the age of 11, and over the course of time, this young woman uh, became one of the richest black people at that time in, in the United States. Um, she was easily a millionaire over and over again. But there were some lessons that came out of it and things. And so I put this here just to remind everybody. Uh, it says, if there's a lesson for others in her legacy, it's in the importance of financial literacy. And it says, no one took the time to teach her how to spend or how to invest. So again, I appreciate the time that my colleagues have given me by 
by helping you understand and at least getting some of the basics of financial aid literacy. Next slide, please. So, you know, you hear the saying, a third, third's a charm. Um, not always the case. And so these may shock and surprise some of you, but I wanna put this here. I'm gonna hit them very quickly. Uh, the cost of college, both four-year public and four-year private has tripled, tripled, so that's one of those third, playing on the thirds theme, since 1980. At the same time, Pell Grants have decreased in their value and they're now only covering a third of four-year public uh, costs, college degrees. Nearly a third of borrowers have debt, but no degree. That one is probably the most shocking to people, but a third of borrowers never finish. They never earn their degree yet you still have that debt that you have to pay off. Again, being informed, making start smart choices. And then when you talk about people being in default, meaning that they have not been paying back on time or the full amount of, of what their, their debt incurred and what their agreement was to pay back, it's a 16%, but nearly a third of those are senior citizens with student debt. Those are mind boggling. So again, it's not just a four year decision, it's a 40 plus year decision. And so I need, again, some of these things, the importance of financial literacy, deadlines, process, understanding things is critically important. Next slide, please. Th this last one is, is also similar. Um, it says 20 years ago, uh, people that attended college in 1995, 96, 95% of them are still owing their original student debt. 95% and it's been 20 years ago. That's heartbreaking. That just means people haven't, one, been able to pay, two, they haven't paid, um, and, and it's affecting the other elements of their life, which you can see in the second bullet point. So it's, it's a middle-class crunch. It's a, it's a lower-class crunch as well, but it's also about being in a position to make things better for yourself and for your family and for generations to come. It just so happens though that many black families, we struggle with this. Um, in light of the recent events from uh, the White House, we cannot sit back and expect to rely on student loan relief. It is, it is a temporary shock in the system. Uh, there are issues and flaws within higher ed uh, education and, and cost and affordability, but you cannot take out loans and, and rely or think that, hey, this happened once before, so maybe it'll happen again. The same is true is that you need to understand these, these concepts of student loan forgiveness programs, which real quick means that if you work at a nonprofit organization for 10 years, and over those 10 years, you have made your full on-time payments for those 10 years that you could have your debt forgiven. 10 years is a long time, you all. You may change jobs, you may wanna do something else. You're making different sacrifices and that is great to be able to work at different qualifying nonprofits, but you need to understand what that really means. The same is true for income-driven repayment plans, meaning that sometimes these uh, student loans in your debt, you're paying back based upon your income level of what you're making. As you make more money, you pay more back. However, that currently runs at about 10% of your, your gross income. So if you're making low wages and you still gotta give out 10%, how are you gonna live? Next slide. So let's talk more about the ins and outs. So do your research. First and foremost, go to every institution that you're thinking about on their website somewhere, even if it's hidden, every school has to have a net price calculator. No though, this is an estimate. And it even says that everybody has them, but they're not gonna be exact. And many times schools are using this as a means of which to get your information so that they can recruit you. So a lot of them, you have to put in your name, an email address, you know, and then they follow up with you and get you in their system. But it's funny because I looked at probably about three or four different institutions, net price calculators, and here's some, here some fine line items that they say. It says it can be used to help anticipate your college costs. Um, and it's an estimate for your eligibility, not saying that you'll get a scholarship, but here's your estimate of what things might be. 
Um, the estimated results is based on information you enter. Uh, remember, it's a good estimate, not a starting point. These are all estimates and subject to change. Before beginning, it would be helpful. This is always fun. You're going to do a, a quick thing on the internet and it's telling you, you're gonna need your federal tax income returns and your income statements. Ah. So again, some are quick, some are easy, but you still need to do your research. It may not be fun. As much time as you're also putting into the application, your essay and your recommendations, you also need to be putting into this financial side. So that's a quick overview of net price calculators. But here are some other tips, other tools to help you in doing your research. You know, every school is gonna have different things, outcomes on their website, but you need to be able to do your own due diligence. So these are free resources that are out there that are legitimate because they're also pulled together from the Department of Education for the US government. Um, you can see different things. They're all tied somewhat together. So that top link actually takes you to a dashboard and you can choose different um, of these affordability and trans, uh, transparency lists. One of my favorites, oh, and the last one, social mobility has become a, a new phenomenon and kind of buzzword. So meaning people from lower or lower middle in, uh, income families, what institutions are really assisting those students to go up the ranks, so to speak, in their social mobility and their income potential and their earnings and different things. So to go from a low income family to a middle-class family or a lower middle-class family up to middle and upper middle or to upper class families. What does that mobility look like? Here's always a caveat though. Be mindful of the methodology in which you are given this ranking. Do the fine reading because it's not always gonna be the same. So do your research. So another saying, the early bird catches the worm. Be on your P's and Q's. Start working on your, app, uh, your FAFSA, get it submitted in different things as well. So we've mentioned October 1st, but then colleges and states may have their own independent deadlines. So state by state, you may qualify again for state aid, not just federal aid, but additional state aid and grants, but you have to meet their deadlines. You can Google it, you can find it. There's resources at your school for through us as well. The great thing about the FAFSA now, there's some changes that are coming. You only have 36 questions. And as you can see, that's down from 108 confusing questions in the past. So um, the FAFSA is there. It's information that you have to go through. It is kind of like when you go to the dentist and you get a six month cleaning. People may not like it, but you probably need to do it. The CSS profile though, is like going to the dentist and having to get a cavity filled. So it's private, it's administered by the college board. It's used by the schools. So it's this extra layer of information. You see that in the last bullet. It's gonna ask you for additional documentation, additional information, and there's a fee that you have to pay to submit the FAFSA, I mean, the CSS profile. So there are those two things. You need to ask and look to see, I know I need the FAFSA, but do I also need to submit the CSS profile? Again, if so, adhere to deadlines and know all the documentation and things that you're gonna to have to submit. Next slide. So at the end of the day, as you go through things and you're submitting the FAFSA, uh, you, you do your research, first of all, you do your research, you apply to schools, you got in, you got all these things, great. At the same time, you're submitting the FAFSA and, and it comes back. And one of the, the key elements within the FAFSA is it's gonna give you and tell you and your family, what is your expected family contribution? So regardless of where you go to school, it's gonna give you a number. Um, and that number is basically a dollar amount. And so as you're looking, you want to know what are my net costs? What does it really mean to me and my family at the end of the day? So it's the most important thing that I say as far as fit. And what this is, is direct cost. So that's tuition, books, and fees that every student at every school is always gonna be charged. Know though, that in the back of your mind, you still have to pay for books, which I know is hard because we're in a digital world now, but you still gotta pay for some books transportation, travel, personal care, personal items, and things like that. And at the end of the day, you need to be able to compare apples to apples. Now, real quick, you always also need to be on your outside hustle. So I used to always advise families and still do, get your application materials done, submit them at deadlines and as early as you can. Also start focusing on your financial aid process. 
But when it comes to outside scholarships, you have to be on your hustle just equally, if not more so. The number of outside scholarships you bring in helps reduce this net cost, okay? So there are links out there and there are apps. There is uh, Scholly uh, and, and myscholly.com. Um, Going Mary, like M-E-R-R-Y, not the name Mary, but Going Mary, like Merry Christmas. You also have apps and websites and scholarship search engines like Raise Me, uh, FastWeb, Scholarships Owls. You also have the Gate Scholarship, Ron Brown. I know everybody's heard of the Coca-Cola Scholarship, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of scholarships out there, both nationally, regionally, and locally, and that's gonna be key. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you won one scholarship that's worth $10,000, or if you won 10 small local scholarships worth $1,000 each. At the end of the day, it still adds up to $10,000. However, the chances of you winning a smaller local one is a lot easier and better than winning a national one. So always be on your outside scholarship hustle. Next slide, please. So net cost, really, what does this mean? Again, how much do we have to pay? So I, I wrote up this example. Let's say that direct cost, again, tuition, room, board, and fees is $70,000. And you get in, in scholarships and grants and other aid from that school, we call it gift aid, you have $40,000. Your net cost is now $30,000. It's really going to be a matter of how is that all divided and chopped up and how are you covering it? A normal process here is that the student will have subsidized and unsubsidized federal Stafford loans. Your first year, that max total is about $5,500. I know nobody likes to work loan, but college is not free these days. So you do the math, it brings you down to 24,500. Going back to your FAFSA conversation I mentioned earlier, Let's say your expected family contribution from the FAFSA is $10,000. So that's already coming out of pocket. But now you still have $14,500 remaining balance. In the world of higher ed, we call that a gap or unmet need. Just because not every school can meet all of your needs. They just don't have the financial resources. So looking at this scenario, the student has $5,500 in student loans. The family has already paid out $10,000. And now you got to come up with another $14,500. What are you going to do? Are you going to take out more loans? Are you going to try to sell a payment plan? Are you going to hustle? Are you going to ask everybody for, for donations and a GoFundMe account? I hope not. Please don't do that. We never advise that. Um, but are you looking at your retirement? Are you looking at 529 plans? All of these are different options. So again, what are you going to do now? If you had outside scholarships, that would help and help reduce your net cost. But if you sit back and you say, oh, I'm not, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, and nothing happens, well, then you're going to be stuck with situations like this. This is how people walk away with so much student debt. Next slide. So some tips as we wrap things up. Talk about it early and throughout this process. You need to have real conversations. There's a few things in America, especially in Black families, that we don't talk about. And one of those is finances, especially with our children. We always try to protect them and keep them out. This is a situation where it all needs to be on the table and everyone needs to be aware. You still keep it private within your household, but you need to have real conversations. After that, you need to have a plan and a realistic one. Not one that's based upon hopes and dreams and if this, then that, and what if I win this big scholarship? That's great if you do, and I'm not going to discourage you from doing it. Remember, Timothy and I read for the Gates, Bill and Melinda Gates scholarship. We've given those out, been part of that process. But what if that doesn't happen? What is your plan? Also, at the end of the day, you need to compare apples with apples. And so there's a lot of different financial aid ward letters that will come your way and they'll be written in different ways. And sometimes it's gonna be hard to understand them. Just know that you need to really take your time and do due diligence. And this is one of the things that our app will help you with. And I'll cover that in a moment. Last, don't extend yourself or others. 
also for anybody who is savvy or, or knows families that have done this, sometimes parents will move their, their financial assets to their student because from a taxing standpoint, it's a, it's a lower hit, but it's just the reverse when it comes to college and financial aid. Any assets in the student's name, student accounts, that could be stocks, bonds, anything, bank accounts, you name it, it's gonna get hit at 20% every year. Versus uh, for the parents, it's gonna be at a 10 to 12%. So you have that to think about. Some people have 529 plans. It's phenomenal that you've been investing, hopefully since your son or daughter was born. But be expected that schools may ask you to pay at least 25% of what your balance is over the course of four years. So that means a fourth freshman year, sophomore, junior, senior, you might deplete it by the time they graduate. Again, be prepared. If that's part of your plan, talk about how much is gonna come out of a 529. Also, last but not least, even after all of this is said and done, be prepared to ask an appeal, quote unquote, for consideration for additional aid money from any of the schools that you have applied to. But you can't ask just to ask and make a wish. You need to ask and have supporting documentation or details and specifics as to why you feel you should receive more aid money. So as we go through all of this, RF, it's called FinAid. It's free. It's on both uh, Apple and Android devices. And it is a basic way in which you can compare all of your financial aid award letters in that apples to apples manner. Um, you're also able to link your accounts just like you do social media accounts. So a student can link their account to a family member or a parent. You can also link it to an advisor or a counselor or anything along those lines. Everybody can, can be connected, see the same thing and be able at the end of the day to make informed decisions. Our website is here, our social media handles are here but also the very next slide will show you some screenshots of what the app actually will look and do for you. So again, some are visual, you'll see a pie chart and you can see a breakdown of how much is free money, which would be green, uh, loans and, and out-of-pocket expenses red. So in this screenshot, it's probably not a good option for you. You can have all your schools listed and at the end of the day on the right-hand side, you can see in a bubble chart, comparisons of all these schools in different categories and segments. So I know I've covered a lot in a short amount of time, uh, but again, we wanted to, to give you a, a sneak peek into the financial aid realm. And at this time, again, I wanna thank my colleagues and turn things back over to Shereen and Timothy. Um, Jason, again, I can't help, I can't thank you enough. I think I'm on. Uh... And forgive us for some of the tech hiccups that we have that we've had, but again, we're really appreciative of the information that you shared. Um, again, I'm, I've always been in awe of, of your of your app and, and what you do in the financial aid realm. And money matters. I say that as a parent before, a, you know, two college, one college graduate, you know, one college student. So please go to finade.com. Um, Excuse me, Jason. Is that correct? Finade app. FinadeApp.com. Um, because it's very, very important that you get the money down. Tim and I, in our own book, Separate of Jason, have consistently said that cost needs to be, if not the most important determinant of, of the college experience process, needs to be, you know, 1A, you know, 1A to 1B. So please, please, please uh, think about money as you approach this process. Tim and I want to open this up for questions. Again, forgive some of the tech hiccups. You can ask some of the questions in the Q&A. Um, Regardless if you ask them now, please join our free Facebook group. Is understanding the choices is a, is a free group where we're, and excuse me, asking a lot of questions or answering a lot of questions. We have our website, understanding the choices. Also, our podcast again, application. That's my side. Admission is Tim's side. We want to be a resource for Black people, Black families, educators who work with Black students. So please, between the website, you can join our mailing list, the the, the free Facebook group. Our podcast, you can always email us, follow us on socials, but also we want you to buy the book. If you haven't bought it yet, please do, because we feel like we've answered a lot of questions that you probably have in the book. But um, Tim, please, you know, sh share anything that you think we need to kind of say at the end. And if you do have any questions, please put them in the Q&A or join the Facebook group, and I'll close out at the very last piece. 
Absolutely. Uh, Shereem, I have no nothing to add, uh, but, you know, we did want to spend a couple moments uh, for Q&A um, as, you know, you've taken all this information in and maybe questions you have that are general in nature. Uh, you know, specific, you know, financial aid questions, specific admission questions to, you know, your children, you know, we wouldn't be able to do justice here, but, you know, Shereem and Jason uh, kind of can address how they can support those. And so we're going to be here, uh, you know, for the next, you know, couple minutes answering questions. Uh, you know, I have to actually hop as I have a flight to Chicago uh, for Emory and I'll be up there recruiting uh, for Emory this week, uh, but definitely happy you're here and open to any questions that you have. So um, I see I see a question, Tim. Can a student submit the common application prior to their teacher recommendations being completed? Yes, they can. Um, I will say this though. Yes, so the short answer to your specific question, can students submit applications without their teacher or counselor recommendations being submitted? Absolutely. However, Tim and I are adamant, do not rush your application process. Don't have your kids submit you know, early because you want it out of your life. Do the due diligence to make sure that the application is sharp and as a as a as a strong representation of who your kid is and how they're going to contribute to their school. So yes, do not hold back that. Definitely submit when you need to. And and most admission offices aren't going to read the application until after the deadline. So we have a early decision one deadline of November the first. I'm not going to review uh, early decision application prior to November the first. So if you apply, if you you send it on, you know, August, you know, the first when it opened up, it's just sitting in the queue somewhere. So take your time and make sure you put together your application, as Shereem said. Another question, and I'll throw this at you, Jason. I've heard from admissions rep that if a student applies early decision, that they're more likely to receive a better financial aid package than regular decision. Is that true? I think it's, you asked a challenging question that I think is, is reality for some people. Um, I would kind of flip it a little bit. Uh, we're starting to see a game being played. Uh, we not starting, we've been seeing a game being played of, of early decision and early action. Does it increase your chances of getting in? It's gonna vary from, from school to school. Uh, some schools play that game. They like to front load. Um, sometimes, Again, if it's early in the process, you've submitted your FAFSA uh, soon after registration opens or submission dates open and, and things are aligned, yes, it, it is possible uh, because you're, again, earlier in the process, they know what they have available to them as far as financial resources. Um, so I wouldn't, but I wouldn't do this. I would never advise anybody to apply early decision anywhere for money, for admission, unless you are 100% downright committed to go there no matter what. Because also keep in mind that sometimes uh, you will have your admission decision before your financial aid decision, and you may still have to wait months. So it's not always the best thing to do. Does it happen in the industry? Yes. Is that a, a, a more global acceptance or something that practices occurs? I would say no, I, I wouldn't go that route. I'll answer the next two. Um... Do you have advice for students attending PWI high schools that are not aligned with the Common Black app? Um, for those of you who don't know, the Common Black app is an excellent resource that covers for $20, you're allowed to apply to several, I mean, up to as many uh, HBCUs as, as you want to. Um, I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I don't know that high schools necessarily need to be aligned with them, but it would be wise if your child's gonna use the Common Black app to make your school counselor aware of it so that they can make sure that they're meeting the deadline set forth by it. Tim and I, primarily because Emory and Morehouse and Wesleyan and Middlebury and UMass where we attended, um, use the Common App. So commonapp.org is what we encourage family to use. By no means are we saying the Common Black App is not something you should use. Please use it if it's best for your kid. But for instance, Morehouse is not on the Common Black App. It's on the Common App. So. Um, your PWI high school should be aware of what kind of application that you're using, whether it's a school app, a common app, or a coalition app. So always make sure that your council is aware. The next question is, can you share the general, uh, Tim, I'll throw this one at you. Can you share the general percentage of ED and EA applicants that are accepted, keeping expectations in line so the students are not disheartened in the waiting game? 
Yeah, so I mean, this question is going to vary from school to school. You know, I, I can say at Emory, uh, you know, we have about, you know, 45% of our students who come in through early decision. We don't have early action. I was traveling with WashU, Johns Hopkins, and Notre Dame. Uh, Notre Dame has about a third of their students who they have through restrictive early action. Uh, WashU was a little bit above 50% who came in early uh, decision. So it's going to vary from school to school. Uh, what I will say is, you know, this idea that it's easier to get in early uh, than regular is not always the case. I think, you know, we're looking at the pro same profile throughout. You're just not competing against as many people. So if I use Emory as an example, we have over 30,000 applications, less than 5,000 people are applying through early decision one and two. So it's a smaller proportion of the class who are, you know, applying for a, sig a significant portion. So that's how it plays out. You know, my general advice is early decision. It's a binding agreement. You should want that school. That should be your number one choice. You should want to go there. You should not apply early decision trying to gain the system because in the case that you do get in, it's a binding agreement. The expectation is that you're going to go there. So it varies from school to school and you should be very thoughtful in, in the process. And those are questions you should ask admission officers. What's the percentage? You know, is it easier? And those are direct questions that they would answer because they have that information available to them. And I just want to throw this out there as well, that there's something called the common data set for each school. Each school produces information about their enrollment, their admissions, their financial aid allocation. If you just type into Google common data set Howard, it'll give you a ton of information. It may not be for 2022 quite yet, but you'll get a good uh, set of data that will help you to understand if you're a data person, understand how their numbers work. Um, we have two quick more questions because I want to make sure we're respectful of people's time a little bit after six. I don't want Tim to miss his flight. How can we get this recording? We will email it out to you. Again, I, we had a little, like a, a, a three minute hiccup where some of the um, Jason's portion was not recorded. Overwhelmingly it was. So we'll make sure that you have the two links that will give you the recordings of, of the sessions. Just give us about a day or so. Uh, is it true that if a student gets an early decision but needs financial aid, it's not binding if the aid isn't sufficient. So yes, in the, in the very rare, very unfortunate situation that you put your child in a situation where they applied early decision in their first choice and they got in, but you said, well, that age isn't sufficient, then yes, you can withdraw that. You, you can you know not take that acceptance, not accept that acceptance, but understand that you're now rescinding that acceptance altogether. You are no longer going to be, your child's no longer going to be an applicant at that school. So as Tim said, as Jason said, talking about money up front, being very clear and understanding what the expectations of early decision are, and being very clear with your child that if we do this, then it may cost X. Their, um, what they expect you can afford versus what you can afford may be different. Hence why Jason was very clear on early decision may not be the best option if money is going to, um, to, to, to be a factor. Is it today that Shireen is today Shireen's birthday? Yes, it is true that today is my birthday. Don't I look 29? I look 29? You see it? You see it? Thank you so much for, for offering that, that birthday um, celebration or um, congratulations, whatever you want to call it. I appreciate it. Um, people are trying to ask a little bit to, um, I'll ask Jason one more question and I'm actually going to close this off. And please, I want to share one more thing with you before you go. But again, please reach out to us via our Facebook group if you need, actually, I'll do it right now. If you want more specific um, information, my company, Strategic Admissions Advice, we're launching a brand new opportunity for parents um, to understand the college process better. It's going to be a monthly opportunity for you to engage me some q and I'll be preparing some content for you. I'm calling it the blueprint, which is called, you know, preparing the parents for the college admissions process primarily for 11th and 12th graders, at least for this year. So if you're interested in that, you can go to this link that you see uh, on the website. You can register, it's actually gonna to begin tomorrow, but I want you to understand that this is going to be a group membership site that I can give you some one-on-one -on -one, or excuse me, personal, more personalized that you're probably getting at school. But if, if you look at my website even further, you'll see that there are other options as well. But I just wanted to offer that to you people in this group. Jason, last question, anyone else has any questions? Please join our Facebook group and hopefully we'll, um, we'll engage. Uh, my student's first choice school does, doesn't early read for financial aid when you submit tax returns. Would you recommend it? 
I would say that if if it's going to be used in the, in the best and appropriate way, then I would say that like and after you've done your research, not only your first from school, but also what is what is your second, third, fourth, fifth, all the way down to seventh, if that's what you have list looks like. Um, also, be mindful though. Uh, it depends on what your your financial aid and uh, what your financial taxes look like. That school may be asking for this year, but also know that the FAFSA, and this was one of the things in the previous slide, it's looking at two years ago. It's called prior prior. So if your financial situation uh, means that you may be eligible for more aid uh, this past year compared to the previous year, then yes, um, it won't hurt. I would probably say, look at the fine, fine print, see what else is required. Do you have to submit an application? Is there anything else? Or if it's truly just submit your taxes and we'll kind of give you a sense of what need you may qualify for. Um, you could also do something similar to that on estimators for the FAFSA as well. So you would have a sense not only from the school, but also what you might anticipate when you submit the FAFSA. Thank you all for joining us. We will send this recording out uh, probably tomorrow evening, but we're really, really excited that you guys are here. And please share the information, the book. We, we, we came here to discuss the book. We've done, a, we've done that. We want you to purchase the book. We want you to share everyone that the book is out. Uh, join Instagram at Understanding the Choices. And uh, we're here as a resource for you throughout the fall, the winter uh, process, college admissions process. Thank you again, Jason Hamilton, for joining us. Please go to finaidapp.com and make sure that you utilize all of that Jason has put together. It's really a comprehensive financial aid tool. So we appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. And uh, we'll see you on our Facebook group. Thank you. Thank you.